Hello, and welcome to the Living in Jesus podcast. My name is Ross O'Hare, and I'll be your host today. Living in Jesus is a podcast designed to explore the depths of what it means to live a grace-filled life with Jesus as the focus. On today's podcast, we will discuss the two subjects of the law and grace. From the beginning of time and until the return of Christ, grace and law are juxtaposed against one another. Two spectrums of choice with two very different outcomes. We will explore the need for the law, the result of the law, and hopelessness of the law, and in finality, the ultimate answer found in grace. For many, the grace of God is an often spoken but empty phrase. We discard it with the familiarity of weak old news. But I hope that through today's podcast, the meaning of grace, the reason for grace, and the limitless hope found in grace will set you free in new and powerful ways. Romans 3, 23 to 24 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. With that said, I hope you enjoy today's podcast, and here we go. Joining me today is uh, Ben Brazina. Hey, Ross. Hey, and Mark Fields. Hey, Ross. And Tom Price. Hey, Ross. How are you guys today? Great. Good to be here. Good. Awesome. All right. So we are talking law versus grace today. So uh, we say in the Living in Jesus study that the law acted as a guardian or manager until Christ fulfilled its purpose. So let's explain just how that happened. What was the initial purpose or need for the law? Tom, I'll start with you. Well, when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, if you think about it, the people that he was giving that law to, they were trained to be Egyptians. Hmm. Even though they were the chosen people of God, they were still trained to be Egyptians in that captivity or the slavery Mm -hmm. that they experience. And so now they've come out and God is giving this law because they are supposed to represent him on the earth. And the law showed them what that representation is supposed to look like. And so as they studied it, memorized it, lived it out, obeyed it, then they could represent God's presence on the earth. Yeah, I think you fast forward to Paul's day, and, and he's looking at the law, and he's thinking of it in terms of Christ. And so when you talk about a guardian until Christ, you have to fast forward to that day. So yes, the law was there. It was showing them who God was. God's character is embodied in that law. And God's behavior, as Tom said, for his chosen people is encapsulated in that. And Jesus comes and says, it can be all summed up in love God and love your neighbor. And that's the plan that he had for the people of Israel, for his chosen people, was that they would be a lighthouse of love. But they were unable to do it. But that law shepherded them. It told them what it was, how they were supposed to live, what God required. But it never met the peace of empowering them to keep it. It just simply showed them. Much like a mirror, we use that a lot of times in the office, like a mirror shows somebody who they are and how they're behaving. So the law functions like that too, but it also is a tutor. It tells people, this is who God is. This is what God wants. This is what God, how God wants you to behave with each other mm. and behave in relationship to animals even. I mean, there's so yeah. many things in the law. Yeah. You know, I know we talk about the Big Ten all the time, but there was a lot of, a lot of laws God gave that are incorporated in the Torah, you know, to, mm-hmm. to tell the Israelites how to behave in relationship with nature, with the land, with each other, with foreigners, yeah. all these things God showed. And, and Jesus said it summed up in love, and the law shows us that love of God. 
Yeah, there's a great passage in Galatians 3, 15 to 29, that talks about the purpose of the law. But yeah. I like what, what Ben and Tom have said about its original establishment, how it reflects who God is yeah. and his love and his his value system. He loves life yeah. and, and he honors life. But the law all through time has brought us to the conclusion that we can't accomplish what God requires. Mm. And that was his intention from the beginning yeah. so that we would ultimately in the end rely on what he would accomplish through Christ in us. Mm. Well, so, you know, we've talked about it kind of like uh, you guys have said, it's a standard that God expects or kind of just it's a representation of God's heart or the way he designed life to be lived. So God obviously gave the Israelites the law and it included a bunch of things, 613 specific laws in the Old Testament, in the Torah. But what role did the law play? In Galatians 4, verse 2, he says, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And he's talking about the idea that this child who is going to inherit something, and while they're still a child, unable to handle the inheritance, they're under the guardian or the tutor, mm-hmm. is another word for it, to teach them how they're supposed to behave and, and what it looks like to be mature until mm-hmm. they are actually able to take over the inheritance. And so in the same way, Paul is making the case that the law served that purpose mm-hmm. because the, the maturity would be the new creation where we now have the righteousness of Christ in us. Mm-hmm. And so the law was, its purpose was to get them to that point to where now Christ in us takes over. It's no longer memorizing, you know, rules and, and regulations to regulate yeah. sin. Yep. Now we have a desire not to sin. Yeah. Without the new creation inside, I see it as a system of behavior modification almost, an external compliance mm. that directs and guides our relationship with God and each other. Mm. You see in the Old Testament that people delighted in the law. I mean, think about it. If we didn't have any idea who God was or what he desired for us, then we, without the law, we wouldn't have that. And so you see David saying, I delight in your law. And so there's a sense of excitement about what God, who God is. I mean, he's beautiful when you start looking at his love and his kindness and, and how he wants people to function in healthy relationships. There's a beauty, there's a comfort knowing what God wants. You know, the problem comes when we try to engage our, our fleshly efforts in a heart that's unregenerate into trying to keep it. It, it doesn't work. But there is a sense of excitement, I think, you see in the Old Testament, how people love the law of God, at least some of the faithful people. And it's that sense of knowing who God is, and he's revealed himself in the law. And I think it was in that delight in them was seeing something that brought them hope because yeah. it was it was a standard that the world around them did not reflect, and they see this, and, mm-hmm. and it's a better way, and I think that was part of that delight. Yeah, so, you know, and I agree. I mean, obviously the law is perfect, as you know, as the Scripture says. So the law is perfect, and it, it's exactly what God intended it for it to be. But also, you know, in Second Corinthians, it talks about how it's a, a ministry of condemnation and death. So mm-hmm. how do we marry those two ideas that it is perfect and holy— and good, but yet it's a ministry of condemnation and death. How does that fit? Well, Ben had used an illustration of a mirror earlier, and yeah, one thing a mirror does, it shows you how you look and maybe what needs to be addressing your hair comb or your teeth brush or whatever, but it does nothing to correct it. It only shows a standard and a reflection of who you are in relationship to what you should be. And so it doesn't bring life, it doesn't bring righteousness, and it doesn't help you to correct what needs to be corrected. 
And I think we have to also make the point that there's a difference between the law, what God gave Moses, those 613, yeah. you know, uh, between that and a law system. And I think it's the system that brings the condemnation. Mm. It's not the actual law itself. So if we were to use the mirror analogy that you guys are using, it's the mirror itself is perfect. But but how but how does that you know how do we if we're using an analogy how then is there the system that makes uh, uh doesn't bring about life? If you're looking at yourself and you're focused on all the uh, all the blemishes you have, and God said you know people that have blemishes are not going to be accepted. You know yeah, right. God's standard is perfection. And if you're looking at yourself saying man, that's bad, that's ugly, you know, that's, I, I can't overcome that. Then, mm. yeah, I mean, it's condemnation and yeah. hopelessness. There's a hopelessness when you focus on that, for yeah. sure. But, yeah, the, the, there's nothing wrong with the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Well, God put the system in play when he, he gave him the law, and he said, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't do it, you'll be cursed. Mm. That right there is the system, and he's yeah. the one who started the system. Mm. But well, yeah. So does that mean there's something? There's nothing wrong with the system necessarily, right? Or what are you saying with that? Well, I'm saying that if you're an unrighteous person trying to gain righteousness in that system, mm. you're going to be condemned. Yeah. And so, and they were condemned in the Old Testament. But you know, their their salvation was that God's always been rich in mercy and slow to get angry, and mm. so He didn't deal them the consequences right away. Often it True, was really yeah. slow. Yeah. I mean, He was really patient and He was long suffering with them. But the system is still there. They still went into exile. They were still destroyed in the Roman mm. destruction in seventy A.D. So they faced the consequences of that. But even in that, their hope was only in the grace and mercy of God, just mm. like ours is. Yeah, yeah. Salvation has always been by faith, yeah. never by works of the law. Yeah. The law was just a condition of living, a system of living between our relationship with God. Mm. And I think maybe the, the true remnants in Israel, the Jewish people who really had that heart faith like David, mm. the law wasn't some obligation of something they had to acquire to attain yeah. God, you know, a relationship with God. It was a delight and a joy. Yeah. But it turned to for the whole nation. And most of us, a system of obligation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so we briefly touched on it, but there are limitations to what the law can accomplish in our lives. So let's, you know, let's dig deeper into that. What what limitations did the law have as it relates to us and our relationship with God? Well, as Mark already mentioned with the mirror analogy, the law could not fix what was broken in the person. And that's a huge limitation. The law says, here's the standard. Here's what perfection looks like. Yeah but it doesn't do anything to give that person power inside to fulfill mm. that righteous decree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's two there's two things that Tom kind of hit on. One was the heart condition and in Old Testament it talks about a deceitful heart that's desperately sick, you know. You put the law into and it, and it says, I don't want to do that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a problem. That's a big problem in order to 
for you to behave like the law instructs if you have a heart that says, no, I'm not going to do it. And even now, the flesh responds strongly to the law. If you tell a kid not to do something, a two-year-old, you know, to do something, and they say no. <laughs> and I remember the first time with my son, my oldest son, when, when he first did that to me, when he first was in his twos, and I said, it's time to go to bed. And he was like, no. And I was like, yes. I picked him up, and he slapped me across the face, and it shocked me. Yeah. I was like, what happened to this uh, <laughs> compliant baby here? Yeah, yeah. But uh, that will came forth, and and that's what happens, I think, when the law comes, that, that uh, unregenerate heart says no. I'm not going to do that. And then and then also there's no there's no power to keep it. You know, when you're fighting your own heart, there's mm-hmm. no power to overcome that. And yeah, that's those are both of the the issues with trying to keep the law system, mm-hmm. which is I need to keep this in order to make myself acceptable to God. Mm-hmm. Well, the unregenerate heart always says I can do it better my way. Yeah. So, you know, that's a few of the limitations that we've talked about. I want to bring in just the, you know, it popped in my mind. Paul says that the law was given so that sin may increase. All right, let's talk about that a little bit more. So under the law system, is it because we're powerless to say no to sin that the sin increases? Or why, why does the law create that kind of dichotomy, I guess, hmm. or issue? Yeah. Well, there's at least two things going on there. But one is, we use the example around here, if you put a picture or a sign on, on a wall, a wet paint, don't touch. Mm-hmm. There is something about that challenge or that instruction that inside of you, and maybe it is that self-centered, rebellious person or whatever, mm-hmm. that's, no, I want to touch that. And it just seems to draw you to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. The other one, I think there's something about an external what, direction instruction that calls out within me, I need to get from where I am and be over there. Mm. It generates some kind of self-effort. It's, mm. It excites the flesh, yeah. that, that willpower that I need to accomplish something, mm. where it's already been accomplished in us through grace, but the law seems to imply, no, you're broken, you're, you, you need to address something, and so I will do it under my own power. Well, it makes me think of Adam and Eve. You know, obviously, that was the first law given, don't you know, eat from this tree, and they believed the lie that it would, you know, they would be more like God, that they could figure it out in their own strength how to be like God, what, how to think like God, how to reason like God. And I think that all of these, if, you know, if we come back to it, the law kind of brings us face to face with that same idea is, here's the standard, and okay, I've got to reason and figure out how to reach that standard, and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and figure out a way to get there Mm. in my own reasoning as opposed to what the tree of life represented in that dependence upon God. All right, um, so as we keep moving here, obviously the law has its limitations, but it is perfect and it is the standard that God set up and it is even God's heart. But the law in and of itself was inadequate to bridge the gap between God and man in terms of bringing back what was in the garden, you know, giving that uh, intimate relationship again. So what was God's solution? Obviously, we know that Jesus is, but how was Jesus God's solution to this problem? Well, you referenced Galatians 5.20 a while ago regarding the law came in so that the transgression would Mm -hmm. increase, but he goes on to say in that same verse, so that grace would increase, Mm -hmm. would abound all Mm -hmm. the more. And so the point the ultimate point was so that God could display His grace to a dark and fallen world mm. and give life to that fallen world yeah. so that His grace could be manifested in them and through them into the dark world. Mm. Romans 8 talks about the, you know, what the 
law couldn't do, weak as it was through the flesh. And so the, the flesh, there's nothing wrong with the law, but the law didn't have any power. So Jesus needed to come, and that God did it. And Paul says in Romans 8, by sin in Jesus. And he condemns sin in the flesh. And then he, you know, when we identify with his death, burial, and resurrection, he recreates us, give us that new heart, and then he comes to live inside of us. And Paul has a beautiful analogy of what happens with, with marriage in Romans 7. We died to the law mm. so that we might be married to another, which is Christ. And in this marriage, Jesus actually comes to live inside of us. He changes our heart to bring it in alignment with love, mm. which is the summary of all the laws. Yeah. And then his Holy Spirit is there to power and to lead us and guide us. And I think that's that's a whole game changer right there. That mm. is what it's about. So that we don't need to focus on the law. We fix our eyes on Jesus, yeah. who's the author and perfect of our faith. And then he leads us and guides us, and our behavior ends up being that light to the nations that was intended by the giving of the law. Yeah, great. Hmm. Yeah, the law addresses behavior, likeness, but Jesus came to give us identity. Hmm. And, I, and law doesn't address your identity or help you with that. And yeah. I think that um, is a key, too. Hmm. Yeah. I think the law, for me personally, gave me the identity that I don't measure up. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that was my identity. True. But Christ mm-hmm. says, I'm adequate in yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that new identity that Christ gives is beautiful. Well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, looking at it from the other side of the cross, now when I look at the law, instead of the law showing me what I should do, mm. the law shows me who I am in the sense of, oh, these are my desires now. I mean, mm. this is really my desire. I mm. want to do this. I, I want already to, want to tell the I truth. Already I already want to tell yeah. the Yeah, exactly. Yeah, got it. So just as kind of a ba- uh, step back real quick, what? how do we describe what grace really is? Right? If we're saying that grace is the solution, that the law was given so that sin may increase, but then God's grace abounds all the more. So how do we have a good definition of what grace is? I mean, to, you know, the standard definition is God's unmerited favor. You know, so the favor of God, unearned, right? The law system that, we're, that, that we couldn't achieve is if you want God's favor, if you want his blessings, if you mm. want him to smile on you, then you got to do this perfectly. Mm. Yeah. You, if you miss up at one point, you've violated them all. You know, but the grace of God is God saying, I'm going to give you my favor first. Mm. I'm going to pursue you when you're my enemy, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you every spiritual blessing in the in the heavenlies in Christ, and I'm going to give you a new identity in Christ. And then when you receive that, it will transform you, and you can live out the life of God, which is love, which looks like the law. So the favor comes first under grace. Mm. It's unearned. It's un. We haven't done anything or achieved or accomplished. It's God just saying, I'm gifting you my favor because I'm love, and I'm pursuing you with my love. And that's what David said that he was he was looking at even in the Old Testament. I, and I heard another person talk about it being the desire and power to do God's will. So it's a gift that God gives us to actually desire him and to love him. But I, And it comes, I think, through receiving the forgiveness in his love first. Hmm. Yeah, there's so many definitions, and one that's really helped me is it's God's provision for living. Hmm. 
based on what he did, and it's unconditional. And so it started with salvation and, and the favor of God, and we've received the payment for our sins and the removal of our sin nature. And now in every thought and every action, he provides the impetus, the initiation, the animation for me to live the life that he has placed inside of me. Mm. And it's not based on anything I do or achieve. It's based on what he's already done. Mm. I love that Paul gives grace a face. His revelation that he received he records in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. In the next verse, he calls it the power of Christ that dwells in him. And so I like to think of grace as that power of Christ dwelling mm-hmm. in me. It's more than just a concept. Yep. It is a literal power that indwells me, that enables me to live out of those godly desires that yeah. he's placed in my heart. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard that definition of just grace as being Christ living in you. It's what that means, you know, because obviously grace and mercy sometimes get put side by side, like they're similar ideas, but they are very separate. Where mercy is, you know, just not getting what you deserve, which for us would be, you know, if we sin, we deserve death. But God went one step further where he gave us his life. And to me, that's the grace portion like you're talking about. It's the indwelling Christ that's living in us, animating us, giving us the desires, giving us his favor because he lives inside of us. Mm-hmm. That's what grace is. Mm-hmm. Well, even though they're, they're different concepts, I still see them as two faces of the same coin. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. And defining of his character. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can't divorce grace from God himself. I mean, it, it, grace is a person. You yeah. know, Jesus, when he showed us who God was, he was full of grace and truth, and he came bringing grace. Yeah. And so his presence in us is, is the grace. Yeah. You know, a wild concept is when God created everything, when he created everything, in that moment he was creating by his grace because he already knew how darkness was going to affect that creation. I mean, I'm a builder, mm. and if I think I'm going to mess something up, I don't start building it. Mm. I wait till I've got it all perfected in my head, then <laughs> I start building it. Mm. But God already knew the destruction that was going to come into his creation, and yeah. he created anyhow. Mm. And so to me, that was, he created by his grace. Yeah. That's amazing. Let's kind of take a step back again. Let me kind of give a synopsis here because we started, you know, I think Adam and Eve was the first mention of any kind of law, don't eat from that tree. Then obviously there was the fall. God gave the law to the Israelites. And it kind of, to me, is this downward trajectory where the law made sin increase and it showed everybody their sin and things went south. You know, like obviously people's perception of themselves realized, like Ben said, I don't measure up. I can't do this. I can't do this by myself. And so the kind of the bottom falls out, right? There's this idea of just we don't measure up. And then Christ comes in, right? And he brings grace with him, and he brings forgiveness and love, and we are now adequate, and we measure up. And so that's what grace is. So the the follow-up question would then be, how do we then live by grace today, right? If this is the trajectory that humans have been on since the beginning of time till today, how do we then take that grace that lives inside of us and live? 
Romans 6.14 says, sin shall not have master over you because you're not under law but under grace. And to me, the concept of that mastery is that that urge to, again, achieve, mm-hmm. live out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil yeah. and try to accomplish this on my own strength. And the enemy wants to excite that flesh pattern that's in me mm-hmm. that wants to achieve and attain. And so I become, and we use this term, sin conscious instead mm-hmm. of Christ conscious. And so the more I think of the rules out there or the external drivers that I need to comply with, mm-hmm. the flesh in me will start to try to perform for that. And again, sin is going to continue to master me. But when I relax and I realize it's the Christ in me and it's his love and it's his life and his power, then that is when I can relax and allow him just to flow freely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you think about, let's just take one, you know, don't lie. Why do people lie? Why do we lie? You know, it's usually to protect ourselves or try to accomplish something for ourselves or get something for ourselves. It's us trying to meet our own needs. And when we say, if we throw that up as a law and say, now I can't lie, there's a tendency to engage the flesh. And the flesh wants this, but the flesh shouldn't lie. And it's, and it's this mm-hmm. inner struggle. But the grace of God comes in and says, you know, you're my child. You're my beloved child. I provided everything for your needs in Christ. And when we receive that and believe that in that moment, then something that's deep inside of us settles, you know, and there's mm-hmm. a peace and there's a rest and there's a there's a contentment that comes from the Holy Spirit's presence and our faith placed in that, that takes away that desire to lie, the need to lie, mm-hmm. the, the temptation there, we overcome that through resting in Christ in that moment and his promises for us rather than trying to engage the flesh, bite our tongue, just not say anything so that I won't lie, all these all these techniques that we can come up with in the flesh to try to not lie. Mm. But the grace of God coming in, his presence, his promises that we stand on, it calms us and, and uh, changes our desires and our hearts so that we don't even want to lie. Mm. In my own life, I've struggled with different sin patterns uh, or habits that I've, I've detested and and did not like and wanted to, you know, be free of it. Mm-hmm. And as I began to struggle with that by utilizing the law, which the law is perfect and good, but as we've already said, the law doesn't give you the power to overcome. And so I would utilize the law to over try to overcome those problems. Mm-hmm. And when I realized what grace was, that the power of grace, and I leaned into that grace... I found myself, what, what, what the grace did, what God's grace in me did was remind me of who I really am constantly. Now, that's the Holy Spirit, but it's through this mechanism of grace because in my practice of my righteousness in Christ, just like, you know, if you practice a piano or practice a guitar, you're going to hit bad notes. Mm. In my practice of that righteousness, yes, I made mistakes, but grace always came back and said, but that's not who you are. I love, God says, I love to watch you practice mm. your righteousness in me. And so I, I see now that it's grace that is is carrying me through every day. It's not mm. me f- through my flesh following rules and laws. Yeah, There's an illustration that in Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan talks about in the house of the interpreter where he sees this guy sweep, a broom sweeping the room and the dust is going crazy everywhere. And then there's a lady that comes in with water 
and spreads the water and the dust calms down. Hmm. And he says, you know, what, what have I just seen? And the interpreter says, you've seen the, the broom is the law hmm. stirring dust up, you know, in the heart of an unregenerate person. It causes everything to get crazy and hmm. sin to increase. But the spirit, the woman with the water, the living water of the gospel, the good news of what God's done for us, it has a way when we think about it and interact with the gospel and the gospel is Christ is our life. He's come into us and made us new. And when we interact with him, it just calms that sin down. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a work of his grace. And it's, Paul says, like Mark said, it literally sets us free. Mm-hmm. We're no longer slaves to sin at that point. We can sin, but we're not, we don't have to. So I think there's this idea that grace and dependence have to go hand in hand. And I think, you know, if there was one word that really stands out to me, about the whole gospel of it in, in entirety is the idea of dependence, is that we have to depend on God for everything. And that includes that He's we've depended on him for our salvation, but also to live out in, through his power and allow him to live through us and to just depend on him and his strength and his way and not our own, which goes again back to Adam and Eve. And I think that dependence is something that when you guys talk about David and how he delighted in the law— I delight in that idea of dependence, where it's not up to me to figure out how to live life, that I have God doing that for me, and I can depend and relax and rest in Him for that. And to me, that's grace. Like that, That's something that helps me live day to day, is knowing that I don't have to figure out how to live this life. Right, because that can weigh down. Like, there's obviously all of us are imperfect beings, and we all struggle with different things, and we all aren't great at everything. You know, there are areas of deficiency in our lives where I'm just not very, you know, some people might say organized or very punctual or, you know, just different things like that. And those are all aspects of life where it's like, well, how do we figure out how to be better at those things? Because we all want to be better at those things, right? I can remember my own life, like, just being dependable was something that. I struggled with, not because I didn't want to be dependable, but just because I would, you know, I'd be thinking about something and all of a sudden I'd be distracted, right? I'd be like, okay, let's go to the store and get these three things. And I come back with two and it's like, what? Um, yeah, I just, you know, like I wanted to be dependable. And I got to the point where I was so frustrated with that. Sounds like you've experienced that. What's that? Going to the store. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, so I just, you know, I wanted to be dependable, and so I tried all these different tactics of trying to be dependable, writing things down, you know, putting reminders on my phone, different things like that. And it was so frustrating where I got to the point where I'm like, God, I'm I'm done. I can't figure it out. You know, I I can't figure out how to be dependable. And it was like in that moment... I didn't feel a switch. It wasn't like all of a sudden, huh, you know, like there was something different. But in that moment, I relinquished that to God. And I depended on him to figure out how to make me and help me be more dependable. And it was like a year later, I remember driving down the road and realizing, wow, I'm, I'm a way more dependable today <laughs> than I was a year ago. And I had done nothing different. And I think, you know, and I've told a lot of people that story because I was fairly young at the time and I've... I've uh, hopefully applied that a little bit more in my life, that truth of dependency. But I mean, I love that story because it was me reaching the end of my rope and saying, God, you have got to do it. And this can be a sin problem. This can just be, again, something as simple as wanting to be more dependable. And it was that dependence that really Hmm. brought grace to my eyes and said, man, it is all about God's power in me. Yeah, I think there's a trap, though, that keeps people or that keeps us from going to God like that. I mean, that's beautiful. That's relying on his grace. And I think in every area we need to say, 
God, I can't do it, yeah, you know, because yeah. we're unable. But the trap that keeps us, I think, is the law system mentality. Mm. God won't even help me unless I help myself, mm, you yeah. know, and we get in this mind. God doesn't like me. He's not going to give me any favor until I get this right. So I better get it right. And if yeah. we keep that mindset, it's going to keep us from going to God and saying, mm-hmm. I can't do it. I need some help. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. the broken system. Yeah. That is the broken system. Yeah. And it's a trap that we get into and Satan's right there saying, you can do it. You know, you can be like God. Mm. You can get this. You can you can accomplish. You can do it, Ross. You yeah. don't need any help. Yep. You know, but and then he's saying, and God won't accept you if if you don't do it. And yeah. so that if we get in that mindset, then we're refusing to go to the source, who's the only one that can give us what we need, the wisdom. Not only do we need power, we need wisdom in how mm-hmm. to do it. So yeah. yeah. So, and you know, that's a personal story of mine, but how have you guys seen this transformation in your life, right? From going from a law system to living under grace and, you know, maybe a specific moment that happened in your life or just the idea of how that transformation has happened in your life. But how have you guys seen that transformation? Well, in my story, of course, we have all, we, we came into salvation, I think, with a full understanding of grace that was given to us. But now that you get into the Christian living and growth and maturity, it becomes a law system mm. and out of our own flesh or whatever. But for me, there was a time in my life when I really wanted to remove any moral impurity in my life. Mm. And I was just focused on, I've got to stop this. I've got to turn my mind and my eyes on the Christian behavior. And so what I did was I took uh, Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. And then it goes through a list of behaviors. Let your eyes don't be diverted. Watch your feet where they're going. And I, I printed this out. I had it on my computer, had it on my car dashboard. I'd memorize it. I can't re- <laughs> recite it now except those few parts. Sure. But it was a mantra to me. And I said, okay, this is going to be my reminder. And every time I see this, it's going to trigger my thoughts and they're going to train themselves to do this. Mm. Um, but as I did that, it, it either produced um, pride or shame. And you know that you either yep. achieve it for a while and you feel good about yourself or you're ashamed of yourself because you fail in it. But it never it really calmed down the emotions, the mm. stress, the striving that was going on. And that's yep. a huge influencer on your decision maker yep. and what you choose to trust. And so through the whole time, it was just wearing me out. Mm. And as I was trying to guard my heart, But then in that process, and that was, again, the sin consciousness, avoid this, avoid that. Then I learned about identity, grace, who I already am in Christ and what he has made me to be. And I have clean thoughts and I have true motives and I do and I am faithful and I do love others out of who I am. And then I came across Philippians 4, 7, which is right after be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it says, and the peace of God will guard your heart. Mm. I said, okay, now he's doing (laughs) For me, what I was trying to do for myself, and I was able to just relax and lean into that. So, okay, God, you're reason. And that dialed the emotions down because his peace took over. Mm -hmm. And then that just allowed me to receive more and more of his grace and provision in that. I've been on a number of these podcasts, and so I've already shared a lot of these these law to grace stories. 
so I don't know, you know, if I could come up with a fresh one, but there's there's so many. But I think the one that, that comes to my mind that's prevalent, well, I was saved when I was 10, and at 10 years old, I wanted to please God. No one had to tell me, Tom, you need to please God. Mm-hmm. That was now the desire of my heart. And what I was told by the church is, here's the things that you should do. Here's the steps that you do to please God. Mm. You got to read your Bible so much. You really should do it at this time of the day. You know, <laughs> this is better if you do it here. Yeah. And you should keep a journal and you should memorize scripture and you should, you know, this whole list of stuff you should do. And I saw that and I thought, yes, that's what I need to do. I'm mm. going to do that. And so as I would try to do that, I realized how inadequate my power was to accomplish that sufficiently and, you know, to keep it up. And so because I kept failing at that, that failure always pointed its finger back to me and says, well, you're not a very good Christian. Mm -hmm. You, You aren't a good Christian. And so I had to wear a mask to hide that, what I believed was a fact from everybody else. Now, you know, I'm pretty transparent. If someone were just to say, How, do you feel confident, you know, in your relationship with God? I would be honest to say, well, no, I don't because of X, Y, Z. And when I began to understand what grace is, that power of grace in me and, and, and my identity in Christ and not my identity in the world, and God began to transform my thinking, my desire... I realized this whole time that I was focusing on the performance and not on the desire. Mm. And God's grace refocused me on the desire. He said, see, you've always had that. I put that in you, and that's never, that's never diminished. That's never grown weak. Mm. It's, if anything, it's grown stronger in you over time. And as I began to read my Bible, it's funny, I, I actually stopped intentionally memorizing Scripture a long time ago. I mean, I, I'm being honest. I don't sit down and say, okay, I need to memorize this verse. Sure. I don't do that yeah. anymore. Yeah. But I know more Scripture by memory now than I ever did when I intentionally <laughs> tried to memorize Scripture. Yeah. Because what I find happens is I'm enthralled with something that I see in the Scripture, and I keep coming back to it over and over and, and meditating on it, that next thing I know is I know that Scripture yeah. because I've spent so much time looking at it. Mm-hmm. And it's not about trying to accomplish reading the Bible at, you know, so much of this and this amount of time. And, mm-hmm. and, and I've just, I just threw all that out the window because that's all out of a law system. Yep. And grace has freed me up to run through the fields of his word and pull the flowers up and smell them and look at them and hang out here and go on to the next one and just, mm-hmm. just see what the Spirit wants to show me. Mm-hmm. Instead of having the regulation that you have to do this in order to be a good Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you said, Tom, reminded me, you know, the Christians, you know, we we tend to add to the Old Testament laws and come up with our own <laughs> rules, you know, about going to church and reading the Bible. And and I grew up in a very religious household, and it was required of us to to read the Bible every day. You know, if we wanted to watch TV, we had to read the same amount of Bible and uh, be able to prove it to dad before we turned on the TV. And then it had to be timed. You know, I mean, this was like pretty legalistic, fundamental type of upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, within that, there was no idea in my mind of any kind of relationship. It was like, this is what's demanded. We need to read the Bible so we know what God wants so that we can do it. And if we don't do it, we're going to be lukewarm and God's going to spit us out of our mouth. And that, <laughs> that was, you know, really in my mindset. And, and I looked at, you know, and then that type of system, the law system comparison comes in. Because that's all you got. You know, nobody's keeping it perfectly. But if you can do better than the next guy, then you feel better. Like like Mark was saying, you have that feel better. And if you don't, then you got the shame that goes with it. And that was really a lot of my experience until really it was it was in college. And it was a good friend of mine that I live with. And he just loved God. And I had never met somebody my age that just really loved God. Mm. And so I, I probably knew more Bible than him. But man, he had a love for God, and and it started me on a path, and and I got some teaching about the new creation, Romans six through eight, and and it just really opened my eyes to what Christianity was all about, mm. you know, and that uh, it wasn't about keeping these things to feel good about ourselves or to make ourselves acceptable to God or because God demanded it. it was God has done it, and He's gifted this to you in order that you can have access. Mm to have intimate fellowship with the Father. And when I started realizing that, and it wasn't a one-day realization, this has been a process in my life. And it gets to, you know, now when I when that happened, then I realized reading the Word is a chance to go into the Bible to get to know God's heart and hear His voice and have fellowship with Him and communion rather than doing something to try to feel good. You know, and, and when you're trying to do something, when I was trying to do something, I never knew how much scripture time do I need to be okay. Do I need 30 minutes? Do I need 15 minutes? Do I need an hour? I mean, all these questions start coming up when you have rules. You got to have really specific rules so that you can know that you've accomplished them. Yeah. And now it's like, man, I, I got up over the weekend at six in the morning. And I was just like, I want to get in the word. And I mean, two hours went by like that. I didn't, wasn't even timing myself, you know, and then the kids get up, you know, and, and they're coming in and I'm like, oh man, I got to stop now, you know? And it was, it was a downer for me because God was showing me some things we were talking and having, and that's a totally different mindset. And when did that happen? It wasn't a specific day, but it was a growing revelation. I mean, there was a revelation of what Christianity is about. It's about that intimacy, but it's a growing into that. And receiving his love makes me in turn changes my desires and wants to get to know him. Uh, This God that was willing to sacrifice himself and give himself for me. And that's attractive. That grace is attractive. And we all want grace. We all want people just to bless us without doing anything. I mean, Ross, (laughs) give me some blessings. You know, it's funny. You you said two hours. And and, in my old way of thinking, I would immediately thought, oh, my gosh, I only spent an hour this morning reading the Scripture. I'm not as good a Christian as Ben is. And, I mean, I really would have thought that. That's That's what the law law system, system, that's what the law system does. It it condemns. Mm -hmm. And I rejoice that you were... That you spent two hours, you know, reading the yeah, word. Yeah, and if I'm in that law system, then I can take that two hours and I can share it with you guys and say, I did two hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about you guys? Yeah. You know, that's just death, man. There's no life there. Well, now you're stuck with doing it two hours from now on. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the standard. <laughs> Thank you.
So it's cool because, you know, you both, all three of you have actually talked about a desire that's within you that's been born out of grace. And, you know, Tom, you said that when you became a Christian, it was you wanted to, to please God, right? And that's an awesome desire. And I think what grace ultimately communicates is that you are, are pleasing, pleasing yeah. to God, mm, right? Yes. You already yes. are, mm-hmm. and you've done nothing. You literally, the moment you become a believer, it's like, what have you actually done for God? <laughs> nothing. The only thing you've done is trust him. Right, yeah. depend on him, mm-hmm. and that's what pleases God. Right? Again, the Bible says that faith is the only thing that pleases God. We can read the Bible twenty-four hours a day; that's not going to please God necessarily, unless obviously that's what He's leading you to do. But and I, and I don't think He would do that. But um, <laughs> but you know, if we are already pleasing to God, and I think the contrast is the law. You are you're never pleasing. Right? You can never measure up. And again, even if you do read those two hours and you've hit the standard and all of a sudden you've, you've reached this goal for the day, I think what happens immediately after that is, well, and now i got to do it tomorrow. And now there's worry mm-hmm. and an expectation and a weight that's on you. You don't have a piece that you've read, you know, you've been in the Word today. You have an anxiety that comes up because it's like, well, now I'm on the hook again for it tomorrow or later today, as opposed to, no, I'm, I'm pleasing with God like you guys talk about two hours this morning, one hour this morning. I cleaned a vacuum this morning. I didn't open the word this morning. I, you know, I, I was, I had to do some things around the house and, but I'm pleasing to God. I'm just as pleasing to God as you are men or you, Tom, or you, Mark, because that's who, what my identity is. It's not about my performance. It's about God's view of me and what his performance has been. I mean, how amazing is God's grace that that's the reality that we live in. Amen. And that's what spurs us on to then actually want to go open the word and do the things that breathe that relationship even deeper. Yeah, it made me think of Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, my yoke is easy. Yeah. And it is easy because he's He's in us, doing it in and through us, giving us unmerited favor. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think if we can just camp out on that idea for one second, is I think it's, it takes that weariness and that reaching the end of your rope to really understand fully what grace means. Because we have to reach the end of ourselves our efforts, I should say that, to understand that grace. I mean, Jesus, even in, in the Sermon on the Mount, takes the law and then amps it up about 10,000 times and says, even if you look at a woman, you've committed adultery. Even if you are angry with your brother, you've committed murder. And he's taken this standard and he's then just, man, amping it up so much. And he's is basically like 613 laws staring you in the face and saying, you cannot do this. You have no chance. And we have to realize that. We have to get to that point where we're just like, this is, you know, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. And then grace can step in. Yeah. Okay. So along those lines, let's then take the opposite of that and see how, or give me some stories, give me some examples in your life where you have struggled with this two sides of the same coin of uh, law and grace and how there's still the struggle, I'm sure, at some point in time to reach for the law or reach for your own reasoning or efforts to achieve life. So give me some stories, give me some examples of how that's happened in your life. Well, the, the enemy knows my flesh pattern, and he knows my lies. And um, my flesh pattern is basically confidence-based, but we all know we have a combination of both. But I'm more confident-based. I can do this, and I can try hard, and I can bear down and go by willpower. And the enemy knows my lies of, you don't have what it takes, you can't do this. And all he needs is an opportunity for a, a, a very, I guess, um, legitimate law even, yeah. but again, some things we've been talking about in our Christian world, we've 
made them less and less legitimate, like you have to behave this way to be a Christian, you yeah. have to go to church, you have to have a quiet time at 5 a.m., you have to pray so many things. And so we've placed those own standards around us. And so all of that's coming at me as I go through my day. And all it takes is, like you guys just um, pointed out, a, a, another person's story and a comparison. Like, oh, I didn't do that. Mm. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the enemy is just going to come right in, and he's going to excite that in me. And he's done it before. Mm. And he will, he will make you think, well, you just need to bear down. And you need to try harder and do that. Mm. And it's, I'll say, nope, it's all about grace. And I'll rest in that grace for 12.8 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it comes right back again in another door. Yeah. And so he, he was, he's using those lies and my flesh pattern. But now as I've learned to identify those lies, take those thoughts captive. No, I am already righteous. I'm already perfect. Relax. Enjoy the Bible. Yeah, let's, let's see what Leviticus says, <laughs> even though we're looking at boils and, and pus and all that in Leviticus. Let's see how that brings out what God's heart is yeah. and just the joy of his love letter to me mm-hmm. and just enjoy that and not do this, you know, and as I obligation. It's always a temptation. Mark, I'm with you. It's always a temptation to return to the old system because it's programmed, you know, in, mm-hmm. in us from our youth. Satan likes that. But I know that there's no life there. And that helps. I think, you know, one of the aspects too is looking at how I was raised. And then when I'm now I have five children, thinking about how I'm interacting with them. And in order to give grace, I think we have to receive grace. Mm. And if I'm in this situation where I'm, I'm thinking and feeling like I'm not measuring up, then I have a tendency to exact stronger demands from my kids and, you know, maybe mm. try to control them and to, you know, enforce that law system of them or either withhold pleasure or give affirmation in the, in the, in the moment. So I think it definitely impacts me still today based on my mindset and based on how we relate to Jesus talks about how if we've been forgiven much, then we should forgive, you know, and responding Mm -hmm. out of that. It's the same, I think, with when we receive the grace of God, we're able to give that grace of God. So separating actions from acceptance and behavior, that's a big thing in parenting. And Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that probably more next week, I guess, with relating unconditionally. But understanding these truths is real impactful for me, you know, and and to overcome that temptation, I have to be aware of my motivations. Mm. But even then, you know, you could turn that into a law and become your own, you know, motivation police. But that's not living by grace. That's living under the law. I I see my motivations. I got to correct my motivations and I got to change them, which that's what the Beatitude, the Sermon on the Mount addresses those motivations. So it does take it to another level. But ultimately, I think for me, the victory comes just focusing on Christ. I want to know you, Paul says. And that's his mission. You know, everything else is garbage. Mm -hmm. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. And to say the same thing, I think that's where we're going to experience, that's where I experience joy and peace is that fellowship with God. Focus on that. And if I'm uptight or struggling, it's usually because I've engaged in some some kind of law system mm. where I'm trying to perform, yeah. you know, and I'm not measuring up. And there's that sense of inaccuracy. So I, that, mm. that awareness brings me back to I'm pursuing Christ, hearing his voice, and submitting my will in that moment. Yeah. My struggle has been similar to Mark and Ben's. It's so easy to slip back into the old way, the old law system of trying to measure up by keeping rules and regulations. 
principles, precepts. And we all struggle with sin, even though, as we've made the case, that we are no longer sinners by nature, mm-hmm. you know, but we can still choose to, to sin, to make that volitional choice to sin. But the desire of our heart is to not sin. Mm. And so when I do find myself struggling with sin, there can be a default to the system that says, okay, I, I shouldn't do that. Mm. Okay, there's the rule. You shouldn't do that. And then if I do it, then I just broke the standard. Mm. Well, and, and with that system comes condemnation. Yeah. Oh, you're condemned, you messed up. But if you have a misunderstanding of grace, then you can come back behind that and say, well, but, you know, uh, it's okay. I'm mm-hmm. under grace. Yeah. Well, yes, that's true. You're under grace. But that still doesn't address what you're believing that's causing you to make the choice to sin. And so as I apply grace, I realize that it's not a principle or a precept to follow that helps me overcome sin. It's literally relying upon the power of grace. And the power of grace is there to ignite or to animate that godly desire that's in me to start with, to not sin. So what that looks like is when I come up to that moment of decision, instead of saying, Tom, you shouldn't do that, I ask myself, Tom, what do you want to do? Hmm. And the Holy Spirit reminds me in that moment of what I want to do, and then I can make a choice. And if I'm listening to the Spirit and I'm listening to my own heart, I say, I don't, I, no, I really don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, I've walked away from that temptation and, mm-hmm. I, and I've chosen not to sin. And one of the things that understanding this difference between law and grace, I have to admit, confess, that as I listen to modern preaching, I get critical sometimes because they'll take this beautiful description of God's grace in the Scripture and they'll turn it into a law system. Mm. You know, Paul, he he was so excited about grace and what grace was and how it just brought life to humanity. And we take his descriptions and we make it into mm. these three steps and these yep. ten steps and mm-hmm. do this, do this, then do this, and then you'll have success in your life. And if you think about that, all of you who are out there listening, all that does is excite your flesh. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with the step or the principle or the precept. But if you're trying to do that in your own strength to measure up, to be adequate, to be good enough, then you're not depending upon the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And that's what grace always brings us back to is to dependence on the Spirit inside of us. Or trying to get something from God that you already have. Exactly. So, and, you know, let's conclude here and kind of bring it back into focus with Jesus here. You know, we like to bring it back and focus on Him. So how does grace and just the idea of dependence and reliance, how does that help us know Jesus more intimately? How does that help us deepen that relationship with Him? Well, to me, uh, and we, this is a well-known saying, that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Mm. And a law system is a religion, mm. if yeah. then conditional and such. Yeah. And that's what's helped me the most, is just enjoying the person of Jesus mm. in every page of the Bible, in every moment, in his companionship with me, and just enjoying that fulfillment and that exploration and that development. Mm. Yeah. Well, when I, look at, when I look at Jesus's life in the Scripture, I see his earthly life personify grace. Hmm. 
continually. Every, every moment of his life was a display of grace. I mean, he is the picture of grace. Yeah, yeah he, Jesus, you know, he, he's kind of the crux of the law and grace. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So you have to say, well, how did Jesus keep the law? And it wasn't by waking up every morning and reading the law and posting it on his dashboard and on his mirror and, and saying, I, I can't murder. I can't take my father's name in vain. That'd be keeping you know, it in his sandal. Yeah. <laughs> on his donkey. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he didn't do that. He lived by the life of his father. He said he never did anything unless the father told him to do it. He never said anything unless the father told him to say it. And he just walked in that communion depending on the life of the father in him. And by doing that, he kept the law perfectly. He was, the, he was the only one that's ever been able to keep the law. And so if we ever want our behavior to line up, we need Jesus. He's the only one that's able to do it. And so he comes to live inside of us, gives us that grace. And he's a beautiful picture of grace, too, because that's his heart. His heart is to bless. And you look, when he came, all he did was serve. He healed. He spent all his time. He stayed up late. He some, sometimes he wouldn't eat just so he could teach some people and, and heal them. Mm. You know, he just gave and gave, and, it, and he didn't say to people, well, how many sins have you done? You're, you're sick because you, you've sinned so much. I'm not going to heal you. You're too much of a sinner. You know, it was just grace. It was just love. It was just healing flowing out of him. And that's who God is, and that's who he still is in us today. He's living in us, and he's given us that grace. And when we focus on that and listen to his voice and live out of his provision, then it's going to have an impact on our heart. It's going to have an impact on our behavior. And uh, as soon as we go back to that law system, you know, it's just maybe you're playing the same tune, but something's off. You know, we can tell when it's a little bit off key. And I think that's what happens when we try to keep the law in our flesh is, yeah, our behavior's right but there's something missing. People see that, that there's there's no love behind it, mm. and it's self the the self centered motive that's just tainting it and not producing righteousness. Yeah, Ben said something about Jesus being the fulfillment of grace and law. Uh, people listening to this, and I've gotten into a lot of conversation with people. When you talk too much grace, it's all of a sudden, wait, what about behavior? You mean sinning's okay? That doesn't matter, and, and that's where they have the pushback. But yeah. If you're operating out of the life of Christ and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you will never violate the law. Exactly. It'll just be the expression of it. Yeah. And that is the uh, intents of the, uh, the intent of the, of the behavior and the outlook of it. And that's what it looks like. Yeah. But that's not what drives it. Yeah, it's kind of like saying, who's going to help you act better, Moses or Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know, and Jesus lives inside <laughs> you. He can help you act yes. better than Moses in the law. So, Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. I hope you guys have been encouraged by just hopefully a new or depth of what it means to have the grace of God living in us through Jesus or even just that power that you know that you are pleasing and God loves you more than you could ever know. So thank you so much for listening today. We hope you guys have been encouraged, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we will explore how to have healthy relationships. This will take us on a journey of understanding how to relate to one another in an unconditional, grace-filled way. The Living in Jesus podcast is a production of Christian Families Today and is produced and edited by Ross O'Hare and Ben Brezina. Christian Families Today is a nonprofit discipleship counseling, coaching, and training ministry focused on equipping men, women, and children in how to build biblically healthy lives and families. 
You can visit our website at cftministry.org to find this podcast, information about the Living in Jesus study, and other free content. If you were encouraged by this podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would take a minute and leave us a review. This podcast and all our free content is made available because of the generosity of people just like you from around the world. Until next week, thank you and God bless.